Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. This podcast thrives on your support. So if you like what you hear, follow us, rate and review us and share this episode with everyone you know across your networks. Okay, now the Human Beauty Movement is all about radical self-love, radical self-acceptance and radical self-expression. So that means that we intentionally step outside our comfort zone to discuss and provide understanding on topics that may otherwise be perceived as taboo. So today we are doing it. We are going to talk about erotic power. After all, this is a shame-free environment. So strap on your strap on to guide our discussion. We're going down under, pun intended, to welcome Ilse Faye to the role model stage. Hailing from Melbourne. (laughs) Hailing from Melbourne, Ilsa is an award-winning filmmaker, creative director, and founder of Erotica Film Festival. She is also a business coach who works with women on financial empowerment. Welcome, Ilsa. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, Jennifer. Wonderful. First, I would love to learn about how you came to do what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, there's, there's a few different pathways and journeys I could show share with you about how I got here, you know, because our lives are, you know, infused with all these different moments and people and experiences and situations that lead us to the places that we're at. But I feel like the most relevant one, you know, to talk about the Erotica Film Festival and how I've ended up here is to do with my journey as a mum and to do with my journey around sexuality. And I think that as women and not all women, but a lot of women do grow up in environments and situations where we repress and are shamed for our sexuality and our power and so we can sometimes struggle to really embody and accept and confidently express those parts of ourselves mm. so that was part of my journey through teenagehood and early adulthood and I guess the point where I'm at now came from being a mom and it was a few years ago I was doing a self-pleasure ritual and in that ritual I had a vision about something that I wanted to create in the world and I came out of that experience and I said to my partner at the time this is what I want to create it's like this incredible erotic vision being. And I said, I can't do that. It is too crazy. It is too out there. This is absolutely radical, insane. And he turned to me and he said, of course you can do it. You can do whatever you want. I've got your back. I'm here to support you. And so in that process of beginning to launch and create erotic events and erotic events from a position of celebration and acceptance, as opposed to creating sexy events where people like do sexy things, it wasn't really ever about, came through all of these fears and frustrations around how I would be perceived as a mom, as a woman, as somebody who was a valuable member of society and community and so on and so forth. And in the seeding of the erotica events, because they started off as live performance art experiences, I did actually have to journey being censored, being, I guess, put down and trying to be squashed because of what it was that I was doing. And through that seeding of erotica, I had this beautiful photo montage created by a friend and colleague of ethical erotica photography and I was watching it because it was something I was going to play at the event and my son who was you know only about 10 at the time or 10 or 11 came past and said oh mom what are you looking at can I watch that my first response was like oh 
my gosh, no, you know, there's breasts on this screen. Absolutely not. And I took a moment to actually really think and reflect into that and to think about what I value around art and what I value around beauty and what I value around ethical photography and beauty and consent and the body. Mm. And I realized that everything that I was looking at was not explicit Mm. and was actually first seated through the gaze of art. Mm. And so I decided that actually it was okay. And so I allowed him to look and he just kind of looked and was like, okay. And and off he went. It was not a big deal. Mm. It was like, oh, okay, cool. And off he went. And so that really was part of this journey of realizing that I had a responsibility as mom and as a woman in my community to do something about the issues that I was seeing in the world, particularly around sexuality. And so, you know, 10s turn into 13s, turn into 16 year olds, and then you start to enter into the world of pornography. And I had concerns about what my child was maybe one day going to see in the schoolyard. And I needed to do something about that, maybe not specifically for him, but for the collective community of children Mm. about, you know, what they were going to then grow into and grow up with and what they were going to consume in the schoolyard, looking at iPhones in secret and really wanting to be part of a world where sexuality and eroticism was not aggressive, was not full of assault and degradation and demeaning behaviours and language and wanting to create an environment and a situation where intimacy and sex and love could be seen through the gaze of care and connection. So Mm. that's how I got here. Amazing, amazing. So I would love for you to help dispel some more myths about erotica. You did touch on the fact that there is this difference between erotica and art and porn and thinking about what society has essentially been emblazoning in front of our children and in front of, you know, everybody who's willing to view. Like, what is the biggest difference or what are some myths that people have about erotica when as soon as they hear it? Well, I think that the cultural movement, and it's been a really important movement that porn has brought to the world actually because what it's created is the permission for people to explore their fantasies Mm. there is no fantasy that you cannot go and find online no matter how much we might feel like that's ugly or uncomfortable porn has been a a trailblazer in many many ways for many many people but i think that and porn is also changing right so it's it's that we've got the mainstream gaze over it but it's also being changed by women like me by trans folk by queer folk by other people who want to create and experience something different. So I think one of the myths is that porn is only one particular section of the market, of the sexuality market, and that is changing. And I think the reason why erotica is so important is because we're bringing consent, we're bringing the consent of the body, right? So when you're working with sexuality, when you look at something like contractual agreement, if you're an artist or a performer, you can be over 18 or whatever the legal age of consent is in your country and say, yes, I agree to do X, Y, and Z. They are within my boundaries that I agree to do. And then you have the consent of the body and the consent of the body is something very different because you can't sign an agreement that says my body consents because you might get into an experience or a situation with a person that you think is good, that you think is fine. And then you get there and if you're sensitized, your body might contract just a little bit. And that's enough to recognize that your body is actually not consenting to that act. And it might not be that it's not consenting ever. It's just not consenting right now, or it could be not ever. So I 
think that when we're looking at erotica and in particular the films that we bring into the Erotica Film Festival, what we're really seeking and looking for is the consent of the body inside the experience. So that's why so many of our films are made by regular people who have a desire to express themselves. Often it's just an expression of themselves, not with another person. We're not purely an explicit film festival. So our primary gaze is on sensuality and intimacy. So I think bringing through consent and bringing through art are really important elements to start to change the narratives around porn and the way that people use porn because it has been so destructive and because it can be so addictive and, and so harmful to people's experiences of themselves and of their sex lives. We really want to start to see porn being infused from the gaze of art and beauty. Mm, mm. I think I understand, but I want to take it a little bit further because I think that a lot of people would say, well, with porn, there's actors and certainly they're consenting. Otherwise, it wouldn't be out there. So yes. what then really would be the difference? Because it's not rape. Like rape is not mm-hmm. consensual. And I think everybody would agree sure. on that. That is a hard line. But there still seems to be this fuzziness between where the line is of where porn begins and ends and then where erotica begins and ends. Or is it not to be, maybe it's more subjective. Maybe it is something that's more fluid. Yeah, sure. And I hear what you're saying. I don't think that there is a specific line between porn and erotica. I mean, porn is erotic and erotica can also be porn. And I think dispelling the the taboo nature of the word porn is very important Mm -hmm. because it creates a broader gaze and possibility to receive more forms of sexuality and more forms of communication and interest and fantasy. And it dispels, I guess, the ugliness and the rejectionary nature that we have over sexuality. So I think that that part's important. Mm. But the piece that I'm really speaking to around consent of the body doesn't mean that people are being raped. It doesn't mean that at all, right? That's a totally not the conversation. Mm. What we're talking about is if I was to meet you in person and sometimes, you know, you, you have this connection with somebody like, oh, you're just going to hug them, right? There's a straightaway recognition of the bodies that it feels good and safe and exciting to come together. And sometimes you meet somebody and you're like, hmm, I actually don't want to hug this person. Maybe I'm okay with a handshake. Maybe I'm okay just with a wave, right? These are things that we teach our children. Would you like a hug, a handshake, or a high five, or a wave? Mm-hmm. Really good ways to teach consent. And these principles have to remain through adulthood and in particular through erotic content. Just because I have said to somebody, well, yes, I agree to do this sex act with you on paper, on the day, my body might just be an absolute no. Like, I just do not want to do this. I don't like your energy, or I don't feel very good today. I don't feel safe. I don't feel emotionally well. I don't feel well slept. You know, whatever reason it might be to then not actually be wanting to or willing to engage in that act. Mm. So that's really, it's a nuance and it it can't be measured because it's different to each and every single person in each and every single moment. Yeah. So whereas you were before a bit concerned about what your son or what any child might be consuming on the play, you know, on the playground or, or what they might be looking at on their own time, then how would you be able to instruct your child or others to be able to have that discernment or to know whether or not what they're looking at is art and whether or not it's not necessarily so? (laughs) I mean, this is a question for each parent to answer for themselves. I think ultimately we all come to the table as, as adults and parents with very different value sets and these sorts of conversations around sex and sexuality and consent start when children are tiny, you know, like not forcing them to hug grandparents, not forcing them to hug you. You know, I think one of the Mm. the biggest myths around being a parent is that our our children are obliged to 
like to hug us and to love us and that we are owed that in some way because we have birthed our children or created or taken care of them and it's not true our children are sovereign beings Mm -hmm. and they get to choose also in each and every moment whether they want to hug you or say I love you or you know follow instructions and things like that so seeding this sort of appreciation for the consent of the body not just their body but also your own body as a parent you know Mm -hmm. saying things like hey I'm, I'm actually feeling really mad about something right now and actually I love you I don't really want to hug right now I need some space Mm. being able to teach children these sorts of languages and where affection or loving a touch isn't necessarily representative of them being rejected but actually is a healthy measure of you know emotional health and intelligence inside the household is deeply important for them to navigate their own sense of self but also how they then start to navigate their relationships in friendships and other further intimate relationships as they turn into adults and then you know having that level of self-understanding emotional intelligence the capacity for compassion and empathy can only be a good thing for then how they start to engage with and use erotic and sexual content Mm. I think that that is so powerful because I can totally see how in many cases with parenting there is such a desire to control the environment control what they're watching try you know keep things away from them but kids are smart kids know they'll go around Mm. it somehow so if you don't have those conversations overtly to say this is what you're viewing this is how you can look at it and this is the way that I would instruct you to you know think about things and and you know trust your feelings and set up those boundaries or those delineations where you feel most comfortable to do so because otherwise people are like oh I don't want to hurt that person's feelings I better give them a hug or I don't want to hurt that dude's feelings I better you know it could carry on to a lot of different intimate areas of the life without you even realizing it yeah that's right yeah amazing it is amazing and I think so many people at least probably in our age group have had experiences where we have done things with people in our teenage years that upon reflection in our adulthood there's no way we would have done that with the knowledge and the self-certainty that we experience now mm-hmm. and, and that's the sense of value it, it's that we we now deeply value ourselves in our own boundaries more than the feeling of or the experience of being bullied rejected shamed whatever it might be by whoever mm-hmm. and so seeding that from a very young age that their value is higher than than any of those other things creates a really powerful I guess essence and vibration in the schoolyard like mm-hmm. if they're willing to stand for themselves then they're probably willing to stand for others as well mm-hmm. you know and, and that's a powerful thing to bring through absolutely let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the idea of sensuality and power you know we talk about the sacral and the solar plexus chakras and the two of them are of course very close to each other I would love for you to give everybody just a little bit of a, a 101 on that great I, I love chakras so there's the sacral sits in the womb space whether you have a womb or not irregardless of your gender that is the location inside of the body that that center sits and it generally holds themes around creativity sexuality tribe belonging community and those sorts of themes then we have the power center and that sits in the solar plexus and those themes are generally related to more masculine themes of will power fire so on and so forth so what you're really looking at is the sacral which is more of a feminine center and then you've got the solar plexus which is more of a masculine center and for me I feel like the integration of those two pieces is what brings through the integration of humanity right and it will come up then into the heart so you bring the feminine with the masculine up into the heart and you have integration right it's just beautiful the way that all of these ancient systems work and I'm certainly no expert on it but the integration of sensuality and personal 
personal power, right? Will being the seat of personal power brings through levels of confidence, levels of high self-worth, the ability to make change in the world, the, the ability to stand for things that are important. And I think what it does when people really start to get this piece and integrate it in their own life is it starts to dispel the distortions that we see around sexuality and power. So some of the ways that distorted sexuality and power can play out in many, many different ways, including the more aggressive tones that you see in some people, the more submissive tones that you see in other people sexually, but it can also play out in non-sexual ways. Mm. People who feel disempowered sexually can become aggressive or overly submissive in very regular scenarios in the workplace, for instance, because they don't have an integration of their worth and of their personal power. And that, you know, we can start to see things like passive aggression, overt bullying, lots of different manipulations and aggressions that start to come out when these two power centers are not really well integrated. The place that I see it is also in parenting when people aren't satisfied in their sexual intimate relationships, they can outsource their love needs to children or to their parents or, you know, to all sorts of very weird and wonderful or not so wonderful ways. Mm, interesting. So, you know, certainly some people are very confident in the business, as you had mentioned, but not necessarily in their bodies. And because there is this disintegration, there is this sense of an imbalance in many different ways. So what are some of the things that people can do to help synergize these? Of course, awareness, I think, is the first thing as you said, you know, if you sense that you're manipulative, or if you sense passive aggressive nature, if you sense that there's something going on, it's like, okay, there's an imbalance here, but how do I fix this? What do I do about it? <laughs> this is the question, isn't it? You know, if you don't even have awareness to begin with, well, there's very little that can be done. And if you're somebody who is experiencing, actually, this is a great way to, to describe it. If you're somebody who experiences a lot of drama, or if you constantly feel like people are doing things to you, like you're feeling victimized, or you're feeling bullied, or there's being manipulated, if you feel like that's happening to you a lot, then chances are that there's something that's distorted. There's something that's out of balance. Now, it doesn't mean that it's your fault. What it means is that there's something there to pay attention to because you're not fully in your power. That's what that means, right? So anywhere where there's drama, distortion, frustration, anger, upset, there's usually a power imbalance going on. And those sorts of situations are designed to present the possibility of power returning to an equilibrium effectively. Like anger is a state of being that attempts to bring back a state of equilibrium. Mm. So if you're a person who's on the other end of the spectrum who's highly aggressive who is always feeling like it's everybody else's fault and you're you know kind of always manipulating places and situations around you chances are you'll probably also feel like a victim um, but in a totally different way there will be a sense of self-righteousness entitlement lots of states spent in in anger and things like that and that's also a sign that there's a lack of self-awareness around the power imbalances internally so ways to i guess to resolve that if you don't have awareness there's not much to do yes but if you do have some threads of awareness, then, you know, a really great place to start is to just keep coming back to the body. You know, there's there's lots of breath work. There's lots of meditation practices. There's, you know, there's lots of very simple tools that can really deeply support people. Mm -hmm. Journaling, seeking support with therapy, retreat spaces, workshops, all of these tools that we have so widely available to us in modern culture are fantastic tools for that journey. That's why they're here. That's why we're so excited about them listening to podcasts like yours is such a great opportunity to bring through different sense of awarenesses from different speakers that can support mini awakening 
things and revelations within yourself to start to support healing or integration. So there, there's so many different avenues, but ultimately when we're dealing with power imbalances, the only person who can ever, ever do that work and bring it back to wholeness is you. Mm -hmm. And I think that one piece of awareness is, do you really truly feel happy? Do you really feel truly content with yourself? Are you really feeling joy in your life? Or when you start feeling that victim complex, or if you feel that you're being bullied, or otherwise, if you feel that people are intimidated by you and shunning you, and, and there's that power imbalance that way, then those are cues. Those are absolute cues. And I guess this also does beg the next question, because obviously living out your fantasies and thinking about erotica, some parts of fetishism talk about submissiveness and dominance. And so if somebody feels that they're getting aroused or turned on by being a submissive, and then they find a, you know, a dominant player who is willing and consensual, is that then harmonious from an external perspective? The vice versa, if somebody is a dom, you know, it's dominant and finds submissiveness in somebody else, and then they come together, is that something that helps to create coherence? Or is that person really trying to look for something where it's a little bit more balanced by themselves rather than seeking it from somebody else? Mm, that's a great question. And my views and perspectives on that particular scenario have actually radically changed over time as I have matured as a, as a person. I think fundamentally the, the external gaze on somebody's personal experience is completely irrelevant. You know, you we are living our personal experiences and my opinion or that of any other person's is completely irrelevant to somebody's personal journey, ultimately. So there's that piece, you know, you do, you live the experience that you need to live. And I think that potentially some guiding forces and factors would be, irregardless of the situation or the experience or the fetish that you find yourself in, do you continue to feel empowered to change that at any time? If you feel like you don't have that capacity, then something needs to happen. But if you always feel like you can have a conversation, change, leave, negotiate, then enjoy your life. <laughs> Have a great time, whatever whatever you're doing. However, I have also considered that as people are playing out these roles and fantasies, I have considered that they loop. You do see some people in who have a particular fetish who loop and who remain stuck inside of that fetish forever. And I don't know that as humans, we are designed to sit in loops. I think that we are designed to evolve. And so I have wondered whether fetishes, when they actually become fully integrated, whether they're actually parts of self that are externalized and we play out the experience until it can come into a place of wholeness. And then as it comes to into a place of wholeness, potentially there's another exciting fetish or desire that arises that then we want to play that out. And so it's almost like a healing journey, so to speak, which doesn't necessarily mean that there's been trauma. It can just be these are parts of the human soul that we are just integrating in this particular lifetime for no other reason other than this is just what we've been given, right? Mm. So I have considered that. And, you know, I know my personal journey through sexuality, my desires and my fantasies have, have changed a great deal. And I think that one of the reasons why for me, I have never looped is because I've been with my, my partner now for eight years and we have journeyed those things together in a very honest, consensual, high communication space mm -hmm. around how we feel, what we want, what we don't like, where we're at, you know, over a long period of time and we have both been willing to evolve and I think sometimes one person can be ready to evolve but they're not ready to leave they don't want to sacrifice the person that they're with in order to evolve past that if that person is looping so it's you know it's complex
complex human behavior, human relationships. Many people are not willing to sacrifice relationships for their own personal soul journey. And I think that the people who are willing to sacrifice personal relationships for their soul journey are going to have a more satisfying overall enriched experience of their life. Oh, very well said. I have never heard it said <laughs> in that way before. And I think that is so enlightening. And I think that you're exactly right. I mean, certainly we are not here to fix anybody. This is not what, what this is. It's really like, are you listening and reflecting upon these words? And if you're sensing that there is something about it that perhaps in your behavior, you're feeling a compulsion where, you know, you can't just easily walk away from it, then you might be getting into that loop. You might be getting into an addictive behavior, which is not necessarily the healthiest for you potentially, but explore it for yourself. These are just suggestions and thoughts to help us all back on the journey to ourselves as it is. Yeah. Now, Ilsa, I know you coach women mostly. And the fascinating thing that I found was that you have them get in touch with their masculine energy. And I would have never have thought about that for business, but I would love for you to speak about that. Yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've been through my personal journey has been to come through the feminine mystic arts. I came through the sacred sexuality journey. I came through the female feminine empowerment journey and lived and breathed in that conscious space for quite a period of time. And it's beautiful and it's incredible. Incredible, and there's lots of self-pleasure and self-love and creativity and art and not a lot of the ability to self-provide or to fully <laughs> there you go create the life of your dreams you know that that space is hanging out with people who don't have a lot of money I mean beautiful spaces drinking chai <laughs> <laughs> and it's overrun with particular demographic of younger people, right? Because as you start to get older, then you have more responsibilities or children or financial commitments. And so we're forced into roles and positions and situations that can actually provide us a financial income, right? So that's kind of what happens there. But what I saw was that so many women, myself included, wanted this new experience of feminine mysticism and empowerment to be the way that we lived our life forever. We didn't want it to be visiting a retreat on the weekend and then going back to our day job. That's not the integration that so many people want. They want it to be completely integrated. You know, we as a the younger kind of generation these days, we want to be able to travel. We want to be able to work from anywhere in the world. We want to be able to have, you know, incredible, amazing incomes, very minimal responsibilities. And sitting around in women's circles talking about our feelings is not always conducive to having that sort of lifestyle, right? So part of the pathway that I've been on is to mature the feminine. And I've had an incredible mentor who supported me with that. And what that means is to go from the immature feminine who's like all in her feelings. It's like, I've got all these feelings and you need to listen to me. And I'm Kali embodied, right? So it's kind of to go from that, the goddess complex, into the mature feminine who can still feel everything, but it's not actually about, it's not actually about her. Mm. You know, it, it's controlled. It's the inner experience of chaos from a place of pure creation. And that level of maturity requires the masculine to be on board inside of the system because the masculine is the provider. He creates structure. He creates consistency. He protects the value of the feminine. He doesn't need to like do all this business because he's like, these are my boundaries. Mm. And I don't need to scream at you that I'm the goddess incarnated because these are my boundaries. And and you either meet these boundaries or you don't. And if you don't meet them, there's no drama. 
we're just not a match. Mm. You know, it becomes very simple. I think that that is a really wonderful way of looking at it because in life, and if we think about evolutionary time, and we are in a time of extraordinary ascension, it's accelerating so dramatically where roles and responsibilities are shifting and it does require, you know, women to take on masculine energy and, you know, either externally or internally so that we can provide for ourselves if that is our calling, if that's what really makes us feel a light and, and our hearts sing. And so from the perspective of support or from the perspective of embodying it and getting a coach such as yourself to help light that way, it's a very powerful thing and it will help with that integration of the two chakras of the sacral and the solar plexus and, and so that you can essentially be whole and balanced in wellness to go then forth and, and live the life that you wish to manifest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think having the, the masculine qualities integrated doesn't necessarily mean that you can't then experience them in the external world if you are heterosexually um, mm -hmm. orientated right it doesn't mean that what it actually means is that you are choosing to value your experience of life so highly you might choose to integrate those masculine principles so that you can build a business so that you can be the ceo of an organization you could do that but you could also do it just so that you have precise and pristine expectations and boundaries in getting your children to school mm -hmm. and having lunches made and having the house the way that you desire it to be and the friendships the way you desire it to be and the sex life that you desire it to be you know there's so many ways that they can be integrated to create a really rich and beautiful life and what I have seen is that as women that are coached have integrated the masculine qualities they have always called in higher matches of mask the external masculine if they haven't been partnered and for people who have been partnered that their experience of that partnership has elevated into something even more beautiful and more special because they're not constantly outsourced which means that their external masculine can really sit in their purity without being like sucked from basically. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> and now when we talk about eroticism, I know that you've got this beautiful film festival. We'll have to talk about that in a moment too. But, you know, people think about eroticism and sensuality, sexuality, and they think, you know, this doesn't have any place in the workplace. Like I need to check my sensuality at the door when I enter into an office or if I'm, you know, on with a bunch of colleagues. So, and so what would be your response to somebody who thinks that way? It's a good question. There are places where it's not appropriate, actually. You know, that's just true. And, you know, if you're questioning whether something is appropriate or not, you can start to flip between, well, I have a right to express my sensuality wherever I want. For me, that that's a distorted, that's a shadow of, in all likelihood, the feminine entitlement to, to be whoever she wants to be, wherever she wants to be it. But when your sexuality and your sensuality is integrated, I mean, it just doesn't need to be everywhere. Mm. It, I mean, it just doesn't. There are places where it's appropriate with your partner, with friends, out in different adult places and landscapes. And then there are places where it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't mean that you're then cutting it out. But if you're at a you know five-year-old's children party and you really feel the need to express your sensuality, then I think there's a problem. And, and the problem is that the sensuality or the sexuality isn't actually integrated mm. because that's it's actually not an appropriate space to bring through that type of energy. Mm. Right. And, and that's different needing to express your sexuality is very different to having levels of comfortability with your own sexuality. So you can still experience yourself as a sensual person at all times without having to bring that energy overtly into a space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just like we are all multifaceted beings, you know, life and its manifestations do have facets. And so, you know, creating a space and a place for ideal energy to shine and thrive, I think might be your, be the answer. And I, what 
was when you were just making that statement about, well, I should be able to excel, reminded me again of that immature feminine potentially. (laughs) You know, one that just feels very entitled and should be able to self-express no matter who, what, where, when they wish to. Yeah. Thanksgiving dinner table might not be quite right over here in America. (laughs) Maybe over in Australia, you've got other kinds of... holidays and such. Now, getting back to the fact that you're a mom and I'm a mom, we know like once you have a child, life changes. Your life is forever changed. You're you're pretty much reborn and you're learning life all over again. And so one thing that happens is your libido can plummet, man, when, you know, you've got nappies to change and you've got kids to get to school and, you know, you're putting other people first. Like the thing that I thought was very amusing that you mentioned is like reclaiming the MILF, which I think is absolutely (laughs) genius. (laughs) So what would you say are some ways that mothers can get their sexy back? (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the ways that I like to work is actually find like social media, a place of deep inspiration for this, because there are some really hot celebrities who (laughs) embody this, the MILF archetype, you know, like to the most gorgeous level. And one of them is Kim Kardashian, right? There there is nothing that that woman does that is not hot, (laughs) you know, and the whole Kardashian kind of Jenna clan sell sex. They sell it everywhere. And they are, and they empower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And power. And they're, you know, financially very successful and all sorts of other things. So I think, you know, if you're struggling to reconnect your sexuality, if, social media is supportive and it might not be, then curating the feed as like a mood board or an inspiration board and then starting to find ways to incorporate that. And it could be through doing your hair a particular way or just putting on a little bit of makeup if that's what makes you feel good or particular clothes. So there's there's kind of those external ways that we can start to support the feminine re-emergence, the sensual re-emergence. And the external ways for the feminine is important because one of the gifts of the feminine is adornment you know creating the beautiful crowns and the hair and and there's a it's not superficial it's just part of the way that the feminine expresses herself so there's that way and the other way is to step into your masculine and actively create times places and spaces where you get to be with yourself and that could look like a bath for 20 minutes it could look like taking half an hour to lay on your bed and just hold your heart you know usually when these sorts of practices start out it's not always that pleasurable usually there's a lot of emotion to be released there can be tears there can be a lot of stuff felt in the heart the yoni can feel neglected and contracted and sometimes sore or have things that she's still healing from through pregnancy and and I'm not an expert in that but there are lots of them out there so there's you know coming back and spending time with the body is just so important and recognizing that you don't have to feel explicitly turned on and aroused and available for sex or intimacy that's not the measure of whether you're doing it right Mm. I mean there is no measure of doing it right other than you know how do you feel is your nervous system at ease do you feel rested is your belly relaxed can you smile and can you laugh and do you feel connected and supported in your experience of life So I think that they're probably better places to start, you know, and and then you can start to really go down the, oh, do I want to self-pleasure and maybe I use a crystal wand and maybe I want to lay in the sun naked. And, you know, there's so many different ways to start to to connect and and awaken that level of sexuality and sensuality again. And it will be different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of not judging yourself or feeling guilty Mm -hmm. for taking that time and recognizing and honoring the fact that you deserve it because look what you've done. You've created a human being. That's amazing. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, my motherhood journey began before I came into this kind of sacred sexuality, empowered living. And so, you know, I don't have those reference points as a first mum, you know, but but I had them as a as a mum with, with a slightly older child. And, you know, those being able to talk about consent, as we talked about at the start, and being able to create space, you know, you just start with the things that you can. You just start where you can with, with what feels doable. There's no right way. There's no winning, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Ilse Faye, it was absolutely a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. This has been truly extraordinary. And I will put all of your information in the show notes so people know where to find you. Everyone, this is Ilse Faye. Please find her and follow her. And we wish you a blessed day. Great. Thank you so much, Jennifer.